0: this is another episode of for what it's worth with wes hoffman um i'm your host wes hoffman thanks so much for tuning in uh (laughs) thanks to everybody who had checked out that first episode with stay the course really appreciate it those guys are great uh like i said we've toured with them uh three times now they're coming to st louis to play a show on august 13th so make sure to uh Check them out if you're in the St. Louis area. uh, Would love to see you guys there. It's at Platypus in the Grove on Manchester. So make sure to check them out. They're going on tour as well. So uh, hit their Instagram. It's staythecourse316 on Instagram uh, for all their tour dates. And make sure to check out their new song, I-35. They have a video out for it as well. So really love that song and glad that it finally kind of hit the airwaves and everything. So uh, thanks to everybody for, for checking that out. Um, if you like this podcast, if you're digging it, uh, please give it a rating on either Apple podcasts or Spotify that really helps. I think just, it shows those search engines, the algorithms that, Hey, people are liking this podcast. People are listening. Let's show it to more people. So it just helps us get the word out a little bit. So, uh, yeah, I would really appreciate that. Uh, give us a five star rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Uh, that would be really cool. So uh, this episode is with Steve Rawls from Belvedere. Uh, if you don't know Belvedere, definitely check them out. They've been a, a band uh, I would say probably around for twenty over 20 years, 25 years maybe, close to it. Um, very good like technical skate punk band. If you're into that kind of stuff, you'll definitely love Belvedere. Their new album that came out... Um, Hindsight is the sixth sense, it is very very good, uh, and you can definitely tell the evolution of the band uh, that they've they've gotten even better at their craft. So really really enjoyed this talk with Steve. Uh, he talks a little bit about the history of Belvedere and what's kind of sparked them getting out and touring this year because they're coming to the U.S. Uh, they're playing uh, festival Camp Punksylvania. They've done a bunch of stuff in Canada. They are getting out there, and they are actually coming to play a show in. St. Louis uh, with yours truly uh, at Off-Broadway on August 27th. So I'm really stoked about that. I was happy to be the one to book the show and uh, put it all together. And, you know, I'm really excited to to play with them. So uh, make sure to check out that show if you're in the St. Louis area. Um, Steve also talks a little bit about booking on this podcast and the importance of uh, when you're in a band and making connections with people, And that's something that I have always really enjoyed about being in a band. Of course, I love playing music. I love performing. I love writing. I love recording. Uh, I love touring, but I all, none, a lot of that is not possible without making the connections that you need to to get your music out there to more people and to be able to get booked at different shows and make connections with different bands and, and all that kind of stuff. So, um, I was literally, um, I'm a recruiter for my day job and I was literally a professional networker for five years when I ran my own business, helping people find jobs and connecting them to companies and to other people that can help them find job referrals and stuff like that. So I really apply that same um, ethos and methodology to being in a band of just, hey, I will connect people, I will help people to venues, to other bands, to promoters as much as I possibly can. So, I love to hear Steve's kind of take on that. Um, and he does booking full time as, um, uh, as an agent now. So, uh, definitely check out their music. Um, follow them on Instagram. It, it's just, it's at Belvedere Band, I think, on Instagram. Uh, if find them on Spotify. It's just Belvedere. You'll find them. It's very easy to find. Uh, and I hope you guys enjoy it. And here is this episode with Steve Rawls from Belvedere. Alright, uh, what's up everybody? I'm here with Steve, is it pronounced Steve Rawls? Yeah, that's right. Rawls, with uh, from Belvedere, and this is a standoff. How you doing, man?
1: I'm good. I'm just noticing my lighting's a little light. Hold tight here.
0: Oh, no oh, worries. cat
1: messed around with this. you right. good. I'm, that's a little
0: better. <laughs> You're How great. are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, good. where in Canada are you located?
1: I'm in Calgary. Um, okay. So we're right by the Rocky Mountains. If you, uh, as far as U.S. geography goes, we're just north of Great Falls, Montana, about five hours. Oh, well,
0: okay. So, like, western.
1: Yeah, it's about a twelve-hour drive to Seattle. Okay, I just did it. So
0: I know that. Okay, cool. Is is it nice weather there?
1: Uh, it's it's good actually. Yeah, I was it was pretty cold um, for our standards um, in terms of June, but it's yeah, it's kind of warming up to that twenty degrees, which is around seventy for you. So. That's uh, that's a little more normal. It does get up into the 90s in the summer, but um, yeah, we haven't hit that point yet. So yeah, yeah. we're getting a lot of rain, which is, <laughs> I don't know if you've probably seen some of the smoke coming through the US, but it's come from Western Canada. And So we've had some really early forest fires in May, which is not really how it usually goes. That usually doesn't happen until July or August, and um, and until like 10 years ago, it didn't happen <laughs> to the extent at all. But um, yeah, so we've gotten lots of rain lately, and uh, then that's a good thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I definitely. Uh, we were we were up in Eastern Canada just this past weekend, and it was real nice, like hoodie weather. It was like kind of in the fifties, sixties. Um, so it was yeah. a nice break from here in St. Louis, where I'm from right now. It's like ninety degrees outside, so it was a nice break yeah, from the it,
1: heat. You kind of lucked out because just given the like you were in Quebec, so the the. The proximity to the St. Lawrence River and all the Great Lakes and stuff out there—it gets really humid, like unexpectedly for that part of it, you know, than you would think. But um, yeah, if you're out there in like July, it can get—it can be real slog. So, yeah, I um, can imagine. Um, yeah, I, I feel that.
0: <laughs> cool. Well, Steve, thanks so much again for for coming on here. I I really wanted to have you on as a guest. Um, just yeah, I'm a I'm a big Belvedere fan, and I know we're playing a show together here in St. Louis. I know you guys have been. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pretty active on in in your touring schedule this year, and um, uh, I'm a big fan of your album um, uh, that that came out a couple of years ago. I guess, was it in 2020 that it came out? Uh,
1: That sounds right. No, maybe 2021. It's been two years, so I guess that's right. Yeah, 2021.
0: Okay, yeah, and I'm a a big Thousand Island fan as well, so... Yeah, that's um...
1: awesome. Yeah, they're (laughs) great uh yeah there's lots they, they put out lots of great stuff
0: yeah yeah absolutely and I know and I know you do a lot of booking as well, so um you yeah. know, I kind of wanted to talk to you about some of those things, but um sure. you know in in talking with you about you know booking the show here in St Louis, you were saying that you know you guys haven't been to some of the places that you're going to for for almost twenty years or so. um, tell me a little bit about what's kind of sparked you guys in in getting back out on the road recently
1: well, I mean. I, the the biggest thing was four or five years ago I was in a place and Casey was in a place where we wanted to we were able to tour more uh, the other guys um, weren't at that position and, and they were pretty tired of touring anyways and you know we'd kind of been held back a little bit by by some of their schedules and so you know where we were only playing twenty or thirty shows a, a, a year I I wanted to do like a hundred and so yeah we kind of had that that split you know about five years ago and the new guys are really keen on touring and that was sort of a big sort of kickstart so you know we, we had all these tour plans um, and that, that all kind of fell through with covid and that we took that time to write that last record hindsight as the sixth sense and record it put it out and then it was a really good kickstart to, to making up all those dates and doing all these festivals and just kind of getting back out there and I kind of thought originally that we would just kind of i, I kind of wanted to go for it one more year because <laughs> When we first tried to do it, I was like, "Oh well, you know, the kid's going into kindergarten next year. Let's get this out now before he starts school." And then, you know, but now it's it's just like I think we're just a full time touring band again. So, um, <laughs> and thankfully for us, it seems like you know we keep getting asked and offered you know festivals and shows and tours. So um, I'm going to keep taking taking them until uh, I guess I'm too old to do this. Which I, I keep saying like, "Oh, I'm going to do this till I'm 30. I'm going to do this till I'm 40, and you know, 50 is the next mi- milestone." So
0: um,
1: I guess I'll just keep going.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely man. I just turned 40 earlier this year and, you know, my band this year we're doing more shows than I've done in a really long time and uh definitely more shows than we've done at, on the road at, like probably ever and we're we're really only at that like 30 shows a year mark, you know, but uh most of those are going to are out of town and I I keep telling the guys I'm like, you know, you know, I don't really feel like I I thought I would feel when I when I'm this age, you know, I feel like I have a lot of energy and Uh, When I talk to people about it, they, you know, the response is usually like, "Well, you, you, if you're doing things that kind of keep you passionate and make feeling young, then, um, you know, it it doesn't. You don't feel old." So, um,
1: I tried to take a different approach as a sort of an older guy now. When I was touring in my late teens and early twenties, you know, you just have all the all the ideas in the world. Like, we're just gonna we're gonna tour the U.S. and We're going to play in front of these basement shows in front of five people and it's going to be rad. And it was, it was rad for a long time, but when you're doing 200 of those a year for five or six years, you start to like, you change, you know, like, I mean, we changed as people, but also as you get older, you start to get into your mid twenties and go, man, it's great, but like, is this what I want? And we just went too hard. And that's ultimately why the band broke up in 04 is because we were doing 150 to 200 shows a year. And a lot of that in the nineties up until maybe about 2001, we're in front of nobody. And, you know, it was good in a way because we were able to get tighter as a band and write more music and stuff. But we didn't communicate very well back in the day. And, like, it really became where a lot of us were like oil and water with each other. We were in the van too much. Our lives were kind of crumbling around us. And all we had was us living in a van, sleeping on floors, doing all this stuff. And I appreciate it now in terms of what it did for my character and my expectations in life and stuff. Everything kind of feels like a gift now that we're playing these sort of big shows and festivals and stuff like that. I don't think I'll ever sort of take it for granted, but it really, it, it knocked us around pretty good, you know? And so now I kind of go, okay, like last year was different because we were making up a lot of stuff. We did some four or five week tours that were too long, but this year is all two week tours. And especially with a kid and family and wife and everything, I don't want to be away. Five weeks anymore. I want to be away for two weeks. Now, if we do like two weeks, you know, eight times a year, that's still four months away from home, but it's spread out, and I can actually like feel like I'm still connected with my family. And also, I just don't feel like I get burned out. We play these great shows, and we go home. We play these great shows, and we go home. And it it, uh, for me that just that that makes so much more sense. And that's how I think we're going to continue to do this into my, you know, just just taking that approach. And I know a lot of other bands do that too. I book a lot of bands. So they're constantly saying, Hey, look, we we only want to go for two, three weeks max, you know, if we have to go to Europe or something like that. But yeah, not, not much more than that. I I think these bands will stay around for a long time because of it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, tell me a little bit more about how you got into like doing the booking and everything like that.
1: It was an extension of what I do as a band. So I don't want to say that, we're, I always say we're a DI, what it's not like we've done, we've, we've not just done this ourselves. We have great record labels. We have, uh, we've had great agents in the past um, that have, have sort of showed me how to do things, you know, like I was just a kid booking shows in basements and all of a sudden we got onto bigger tours and, and shows and festivals and and you kind of learn along the way. And so I've been booking our band fairly exclusively in, You know, Canada used to be the U.S. and Europe for a long time. And then we have partners in America that we sort of hand off these tours to. They're much better suited for these local markets. But it was really easy for me to just sort of say, "Okay, well, I'm going to start with some small bands. You know, I'm going to help them with some management stuff and I'm going to help them with some booking stuff. I started with Wolfbrick and then La Armada. And then much the same was like, hey, we're looking for somebody to book Europe. I was like, I probably could do something for you. So then I did that and then Cigar came around and it was just like band after band. And, you know, I started working with Straight Line and Drunk Tank and all these bands over in Europe. And it was a good sort of, um, I don't know, it was just really what I was doing with the band. I was like, well, I feel like I'm doing an okay job with this. These bands trust me because we know each other. Um, I'm just going to be open and honest with them and just tell them how it is. And, and it seems to be working out good. And now it's you know spiraled into bigger things, too. And, um, you know, bands like Authority Zero and Mad Caddies in Canada and just old friends that, have, you know, they're in that situation where they're looking for an agent and, and I'm, I'm, i am feel thankful that i got that call you
0: know one thing that i that i've always been kind of big on being in a band and uh that's really important with when, when in booking and everything is not only being a great musician you know and working on the music part of it but also like the business side of making connections with people can you talk a little bit i can imagine having you know basically what you said all these bands were kind of coming to you saying hey we can you know can you help us like can you talk a little bit about maybe the importance of that, or how like it became evident to you?
1: Yeah, I mean, dude, the business side of things is not for every musician, as you probably know. Um, it's not what a lot of them want to deal with. They want to focus on their craft, and I and I support that. I started a record label when I was eighteen. This is Belvedere was kind of just like a, just a basement band. We weren't doing any shows, but. We, um, you know, I started this record label, and I thought for a long time I was just going to be kind of like, you know, the the help behind a lot of a lot of these bands. And so I learned about distribution and record deals and um, licensing deals and all that stuff. And this was, you know, before digital, so it was mostly just like CDs, right? Well, I put out 13 releases over time, and some were European bands and American bands and Canadian bands, and that sort of set me onto. I was kind of just the I was just like the manager of the band, anyways. So you know, I was doing the label stuff. I was the one putting the money for everything. So I was like, well, okay, I'll just do all this stuff. And um, you probably know, and I think a lot of bands that are touring you need one person in that band who's going to be the band manager, or the band dad, or whatever you want to call it. Um, <clears throat> otherwise, you know, there's no direction for anything. You know, it's it's still. I mean, music isn't so much a business, but everything around music is a business. So, you know, whether it's somebody's got to pay for that gas in that van and get the van in the first place and buy merch and book these shows and do all that stuff. And if you don't have that person, you just kind of, you just grind away and don't really move forward too far.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree with you on that. And, um, you know, I, I always, you, you joked about the band dad or the touring manager or, or something like that. And like, I always say, you know, even though I'm the main the front man in my band, I'll, I'll kind of be like, "Okay, guys, I got to put on my tour manager hat. Like, we need to leave today by this time, and we need to do this, and we need to do that." And it's it definitely. I I think um, a lot of the bands that I've talked to in the past say the same thing that someone, either somebody in the band or the friend, has to be take those reins and and kind of be that that part of it. So
1: yeah, it's funny. You really do have to wear a lot of hats. I mean, yeah, someone's got to be the TM and the booking agent and the driver. And the finance here. <laughs> and sometimes someone's got to be the asshole too, right? And like, and yeah, I've certainly been that a few times, but you know, you, you, someone's got to wake everybody up in the morning when they're all hungover, right? Like, make
0: the show. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So, you know, my band just recently signed with Jumpstart Records and we're going to be putting on a, oh. uh, yeah, yeah. We're going to be putting out an album with, with them. And I know that you worked with them quite a bit in the past. I, I'd love to just hear a little bit about maybe your experience uh, working with jumpstart and, and Jeremy.
1: Yeah. Jeremy and I, we go way back. Um, we were good friends there. We'd see each other a lot. We don't see each other all that much, though. I've seen him in Germany now a couple of times, which is super cool. It's <laughs> been great to, to come out to our shows. Um, yeah, we put out a couple records with jumpstart records and we, and you know, Jeremy was really instrumental in, in helping us develop as a band in, you know, the Northeastern States. And really at that time we were touring a lot of the States, um, most of the lower 48, um, but it was always nice, you know. We'd always do these Canadian tours, and then we would head down to Pennsylvania and sort of start from there and start working around from there. And we always stayed at his house or it crashed. At, you know, at that time he was in a van called No one 15, and we were staying with those guys a lot and partying. State College was a great town to, to sort of hang from. And um, you know, it was it was a good. I just felt like at that time we were doing a lot of work tour dates. At that time, those guys were helping us try to get onto support shows. Um, one of his guys, Barry. That was working with the label at the time. This well, keep in mind, this is going back to 2001. I think he originally helped us get on a Mad Caddies tour that went across Canada. That's awesome. And uh, I, you know, that band I probably any other band, you know, Europe, Canada, the U.S. So you know, there's lots of little little stepping stones, and they were just a small label that was just trying to get us in front. They were passionate about the band, and they were trying to get us in front of people. And, you know, so we had some records that were with them and, and then we were releasing with Union Label Group in Canada who, again, you know, those guys helped us get on these package tours with Satanic Surfers who we met across Canada who ultimately took us to Europe for the first time. And so awesome. I love telling these stories because, you know, you always say, like, we're a DIY band, but we're not. We've taken a lot of little baby steps along the way with help from, from smaller labels and agencies that were that were just really passionate about the band and we just took these little incremental steps. There was never, like hey we've made it you know i still don't think we, we've made it but you know you kind of just go like you know oh well, let's do this tour we'll, we'll get on this show holy shit! now they're taking us on a whole tour like it's it's um and this is why i always say like rule number one with bands: be nice to everybody
0: absolutely if you
1: don't know i can i'll, I'll talk for hours if you <laughs> let me. i'll tell you all these little stories about these people i met when i did an interview with somebody who's 16 and then he started a japanese record label and brought us to Jap- japan three or four times put out all the records you know this was just a kid and I was like oh cool and he's like yeah you were really nice so here and he ended up starting um, Bullion which was like run by ULF this big like TV station over there and they had all these labels like a punk label and a country label and he ran the punk label so all of a sudden we're touring over there with the vandals and and uh, and Useless ID, and made friends with all those guys and it's just like all these little stepping stones if I wasn't nice to that guy none of that ha- would have ever happened
0: yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree with you. And that's always just been something that I kind of take it, with me as a as a person and as a band as well Is just like kind of always being kind to everybody and, and appreciating and, and being appreciative. And even if some even if it's like you have to turn down an offer or something, which having to turn down shows or something like that, I would feel really bad because, you know, the people pleasing part of me wants to be like, oh, I really want to play this show for you. But it's just like, not going to work yeah. for us. It's not going to work in our schedule. And like, being even professional and polite in that way of like, Hey, you know, please keep us in mind next time. Um, you know, but this time it's just not going to work. Um, and, and I, I agree. I think like I was talking about this on the last podcast about kind of that DIY, um, ethos. And I try, I do a lot of things myself. I book a lot of shows myself. And, mm-hmm. Um, but you know, now I am getting my, like we have gotten to the point where we have someone who helps us book shows and we, we have a manager and, and you know, we've hired PR people Um, To help us like push our releases and and, you know, we have a label now that that has connections that we don't and that's really um, you know I don't think that's necessarily being a sellout. I think it's just taking the opportunities of hey This person can help us get to the next level or help us get a little bit further along so that what you just said really really resonated with me
1: there well, I I mean Whole cool idea of the sellout is kind of a funny term, anyways. It's like, <laughs> are you are you compromising your music or your craft? No, you're just trying to get it out to more people. That's not exactly. That's not selling out. If you you know, if you bring in a DJ and all of a sudden you know you've got keyboards and everybody's dressing in white suits and like that's not you, but you're doing that to like make money. And I mean, that's a different thing. Um, <laughs>
0: exactly. I always
1: said like, I'm gonna play the music I want to play, whether or not it's popular. And clearly, like skate punk has had its evolution through time, but. You know, it's not 1995 anymore, but I still choose to play this music because it's what I love. If I'm going to go be in an indie rock band, I might as well go sit in an office and and punch a keyboard, (laughs) which I do anyways, but, you know, it's my (laughs)
0: office. (laughs) Right, right. So, so tell me a little bit about like, you know, when I think of like the real technical skate punk bands, I think of, uh, I think of I think of strung out, um, uh, I think of a Wilhelm scream, you know, I really feel like you guys were pioneers in that group of, um, you know, cause back in the day, it was, like way back in the day, it was like punk. It was kind of known as a, a genre where the, you didn't have to really know how to play your guitar that well. And I feel like, um, you know, the, the groups that I mentioned yourself included really changed that with, adding this technicality and this precision to that um, but what was really the, kind of the influence on you that helped like kind of early on that, that made you want to play, you know, integrate that like technicality into um, punk rock?
1: I mean when I started the band in 94, 95, it was fairly just straightforward. Some of our early stuff is, is tough for me to listen to because it's just like, you know, 4-4, four, four, there's no changes, there's, there's three chords. And um, that changed over time. We wanted more out of it than that. Influences, you know, jazz and metal and hardcore and all this stuff was sort of coming together with us a little bit. And really, you know, when Jay Jay joined the band in '98, you know, and start in Angels of My Town, there was some screaming on our records, right? That was our second record. I mean, that changed things a lot too. We were still sort of this like, you know, fast 220 beats a minute song, you know, verse chorus verse chorus kind of done. Thing, you know, it was basically just like punk and drum like, like over 12, you know, again, right? Uh, at the time what we loved and what we wanted to play, but we were starting the envelope a little bit I think on what we what we were doing. I mean, like I'm not I'm just saying that like for us We just wanted to push what we were doing and it, and it really came uh, Really came around for our third record was Hell City will former child We were definitely the songwriting I felt like was getting better. We were we were playing all the time we were butting heads a lot, which creates some chaos and, and some different ideas, too, in, in its own right. But, um, you know, we're just trying to trying to fuse in what everybody kind of liked. SNFU and RKL, and those were kind of bands that we looked up to as well. Those guys have been sort of pushing that envelope absolutely, for a long time, too. So you know, we certainly weren't creating a wheel here. We were just kind of making our influences and, and spitting it out how it felt like it should come up for Belvedere.
0: Yeah, I, I, I totally. Yeah, I, I guess I kind of see now that you mentioned like RKL um, and, and I guess SNFU, like that they were kind of the early, earlier pioneers of that, and evolved kind of uh, as time went on. Do you? Yeah, they,
1: R- RKL was a huge one for us because we we caught on to one. We had this VHS tape of them, um, like sort of the early touring of them, and, and we we knew their music, but we really dug into it. Watched that video time over and over and over again, and especially like you know the bass playing and the guitar playing and everything was just so gnarly and raw and the singing was just like so like you know it, it was awesome it was just so aggressive and it, it really felt like that that's a direction like we really should go that way kind of you know we were already kind of going that way but it's like man like there it is you know and SNFU has so much great music that like as a kid going to their shows their live show no if you saw SNFU in the 90s or, or, or 2000s you 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 know what I'm talking about. There's no live show like an SNFU show from back in the day. So you had that to look forward to. But the music itself and the stuff on record, it was so melodic. But there was so much dissonance and so much like it felt good, but it kind of shitty too to listen to it. Like it was, it just made you feel like all these different emotions. And I loved it because it was so much different than all these sort of melodic straight ahead punk bands. It was just like you know everything was major chord and it was like, la la la, And it was all this happy stuff where they were singing and playing gnarly stuff. And we just like that, that spoke to us.
0: Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I'm going to have to go back and listen to some of the stuff in their catalog. Cause I, I'm not super familiar. I'm more familiar with RKL. Um, but I'll definitely want to dive in after this call. So, um, do you, do you have people now that you run into that say, Hey, you know, you guys really influenced me as a musician or, or your lyrics and your music, you know, really has helped me through tough times and that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, it's happened a lot and it's really humbling every time. We I get I've seen a lot of tattoos, Belvider tattoos over the years and that's that's a trip. Um yeah, I I've had people tell me some pretty vulnerable stories of some incidents that happened happened to them and, and that the music's kept them going and, and you know in some instances it really it was, you know, helpful in, in in helping them get through some tough situations. And that's hard to that's hard to really like Rationalize to yourself because you write this stuff in a basement when you're 16 you kind of hey I sure hope somebody like likes this and then you know somebody tells you this crazy story from Colombia or Italy or something and um, I don't ever take it for granted man I I know how how much music means to me and I feel fortunate that to some people uh, a Small group around the world that that our, our music means something to them
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. Um uh, my my band like we just our our someone got a tattoo of of our song lyrics it was the first one that I've ever seen and and it was definitely like my eyes got bugged out of my head I was like you got to be kidding me that it was a it was definitely a, a humbling moment um, but I think mm-hmm. you know I mean that's a beautiful thing that you know I think about how music different bands have pulled me through tough times um, and and different songs and everything like that and you know why can't we be the ones who are making music that are helping other people too, you know? So that's yeah. super cool. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, it's awesome.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So what's, um, I know you guys are coming, you're coming to the United States. Uh, you're mm-hmm. playing P- camp punk Um, you're playing here in St. Louis. Uh, you know what do you guys have? Uh, it seems like you have a pretty booked summer coming up. What's what's on the on the docket for Belvedere?
1: So I just got back. Um, we just did some festivals up in Quebec, and we did a, a run of shows with the Mad Caddies in Ontario and Quebec. And um, so we're going to be laying low for about six weeks. I have a lot of stuff to prep because I'm I've, I'm booking a lot of European tours right now for Cigar and Authority Zero and Adrenalized and Drunk Tanker stuff going on. So I'm gonna have a busy summer. But then we start the U.S the third week of august and so we're going up to toronto and then we're we're going down from there and we're doing the midwest and the east coast not all the way down uh just down as far south as as washington so it's just the northeast um but that's sort of our first swing at at, at going back to the states which has been 20 years right so i mean as you probably as i told you and i'm sure a lot of people know we have to get work permits and that's a whole thing and it's expensive and it's tedious and time-consuming and that's been a part of the reason why a lot of bands don't tour the u.s as much is because it's a real struggle uh for a lot of reasons to to get that stuff so you know europe you just go play like if you want to come to canada there's some paperwork but you just come and play it's free um so anyways we are doing that for the first time and this is going to be the first little run that we're doing in the u.s and we're going to do more we've got plans to do the west coast and um and probably you know the south as well so it's just uh we just have to do it in little little chunks but yeah well i'm, I'm excited about it i mean we i used to love touring the states we toured so much in the 90s and um now it's possible that we can again
0: i know a lot of people here are excited about it as well uh people have been Thanks. you know talking to me about it saying hey you know we're stoked this is is one of my favorite bands we're we're super stoked that you guys are coming here. So, um, and thank you for stopping in St. Louis. I feel like a lot of times uh, we get looked over here, and um, I was really, really glad to hear that you guys were, com- you know, hitting up Chicago and then coming here. So, appreciate it. Well,
1: that's because of you. And I mean, we used to come to St. Louis a lot. We used to play the Creepy Crawl back in the day, and like, oh yeah, you know, we played twenty people, and they were so nice to us there. And and they just, we just always had a great time. And. It, it, Sometimes it is out of the way, but you have to, you know, especially for a band like us, when we're just sort of trying to find our feet, anybody that'll have us will play. And thankfully we had a good little scene going in St. Louis. So I'm excited to come back.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm super excited to have you guys. So, um, yeah, I can't wait. It's going to be a great time, and I'm I'm stoked to meet you in person and and have a beer with you if if you drink beer. But um, <laughs> I do. If you do, we'll have a beer together. <laughs> that sounds
1: good. I'm into that.
0: Awesome. Well, Steve, uh, thanks so much for giving me a little bit of your time, man. Um, this will probably be up in uh, a couple weeks or so. Um, okay. But you know, in per- in promotion for the show uh, on August 29th in or August 27th in St. Louis. And um, I know you guys are, I just saw yesterday, uh, you're playing in Chicago with Counterpunch and uh, Bad Planning, which uh, we went on tour, we did a little tour with Band- Bad Planning, they're awesome guys. Oh, so, cool. Yeah.
1: Yeah, we have a little history with Counterpunch, we, we played Girls Rock, and actually our first reunion show was in Paris, so we played this boat and they, they opened up the show, and so we uh, remember all those guys from the old days playing the Fireside Bowl in Chicago and all that, so... Um, it'll be cool to see them and yeah, bad planning as well. We've been chatting a little bit online, so yeah, I'm stoked to, uh, to do that show as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Counterpunch came through here not too long ago with uh, a vulture wake. Um, cool. yeah, yeah, it was super, it was a super good show and Then I got to meet some, uh, I got to meet, um, Eric from that band. We, we went up to Chicago and played punk the burbs fest uh, last year too. Mm-hmm. So they all seem like great guys. And, um, so that, that'll be a fun one. Um, so, well, Steve, best of luck to you, man. I really appreciate you taking the time. And, uh, yeah, I'll let you know as soon as this
1: is up. That sounds awesome. Thanks for having me. Hi. Right. Much love.